Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome to the Raised Colored Podcast. I'm Ryland Styles. With me as always is Austin Ryman. And on today's show, we have a very, very heavy episode. First, we want to thank you for your questions that you've given us on Twitter at Raised Colored Glasses on Twitter at Ryland underscore Styles on Twitter and at Raymond underscore Austin on Twitter. We appreciate all of your questions for uh, this new segment we're going to bring you later on the show. It'll be really fun. We're also going to talk about spring training. If, if it matters, if it doesn't matter, the headlines, the surprises, the standouts, etc. And Blake Snell, he's not happy with his pay raise. And also the remaining free agents out there and Matt Duffy. And right now, let's bring in Austin. Austin, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Always good to be talking about baseball. How about you? Yeah, it's pretty funny. You said it uh, well yourself. It's always good to talk some rays and, and get some content out there. And let's go right into it since we have a lot to cover. Blake Snell got a quote-unquote pay raise of $15,000, making his salary for this year coming off a of Cy Young Award $573,700. What do you think about that, Austin? What do you think about him being so disgruntled about it? Yeah, so he was not too happy about it. Um, I think, see, Mark Toppin quoted him as not being too thrilled. I think the issue that I saw with it is that since he was so disgruntled about it, um, how does this impact discussions for a contract extension uh, down the road? Uh, you know, you saw Aaron Nola of the Phillies get renewed right before his arbitration, um, his first year arbitration came up. So it'll be interesting. I thought that Blake Snow would have been a perfect candidate for an extension similar to that this offseason or next offseason. But after this, I mean, he was quoted as saying, if that's what they want to do, that's what they can do. Hopefully this pushes me. Arbitration will be the business side, and that's what I'll tell them. I think fair is fair. It all comes around in the end anyways. At the end of the day, you get what you put in. I'll be motivated. Um, I think the fair, fair, what's fair is fair stuck out to me the most is that he obviously does not believe that $573,700 is fair for a Cy Young Award winner. I mean, he, he provided them with so much last season, and there was already a minimal $10,000 uh, minimum salary bump instituted by MLB. So in essence, he got a $5,500 raise, and he was obviously not happy about that. I mean, it sounds like he's poised to take them to arbitration, and they could get stung in arbitration if they let it get to there. Um, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I think that if the raise ponied up the cash, he'd forget this happened. You know, once his contract becomes due uh, to extend him, even you know during his arbitration, buying out those arbitration years, I think arbitration is risky. I think for sure there's no way the Rays get to buy out his first year of arbitration. I think after this, Blake Snell will want to test out those waters. And I think that that's the extent of it. I think that that's all that's going to come of it. Instead of being able to buy out his entire arbitration, you're going to have to let him take it to arbitration for year one and pay whatever the arbiter says. But, I mean, we've seen this in the past. This isn't anything new. First of all, arbitration itself is something scary for players, and every player goes into it with his mindset. That's Blake Snell's mindset of, you know, I'm going to get what's mine. This is a business. If you want to treat me this way, I'll counter with this, and I'll turn in my play on the field, and I'll get paid this. 
And then they don't get paid that because their organization is battling against them. And then MLB sides with whoever they side with. And then they come to realize, okay, this isn't exactly a very fun system for either case, you know, for either party. And then they go ahead and buy out those arbitration years. Uh, but I mean, this is anything new. I think it's fun to poke fun at the Rays and, and how tight, uh, penny, penny pinchers that their owners are and their GM is and everything. But, I mean, this is a case going around baseball right now. I mean, Alex Bregman, MVP candidate for the Astros, he didn't get a big pay raise. He's upset about that quote-unquote pay raise. Aaron Judge didn't. Jack Flaherty didn't know the Cardinals. I mean, this isn't anything specific to the Rays or to Blake Snell. He'll get over it if the Rays do decide to throw him a huge contract the way they did Evan Longoria. Uh, so we'll see how that you know transpires throughout the rest of his career. I do not think that this in any way eliminates a future relationship with the Rays and Blake Snell uh, or anything like that. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say it really eliminates any relationship that they would have in the future. I do think that they really didn't do themselves any favor, though, by shortchanging him. Um, I know this is this is what they do. This is what they do with every single player. Um, but, you know, at some point, when do you change the model? Um, you know, you got a lot of guys coming up for arbitration and really in the future because they have so many young players and – I think a, I think a little bit of goodwill might have gone a long way um, in some contract discussions. So it'll be interesting to see how everything falls out. I definitely think he'll take him to arbitration this year. And the dangerous part for the Rays is that if he likes what he gets in arbitration this year, there's no reason for him not to go back to arbitration the following year. So it will be interesting. And then the year after that, because they all build on each other. So it will be interesting to see. I mean, obviously an extension gives him security in case he does not perform up to his expectations. But it'll be interesting for sure. Um, speaking of Snell, he did get the opening day nod. That was more of a formality rather than sort of a guessing game. We all knew he was going to be the opening day starter. It is his first opening day start, and I think if you want to talk about the rotation being set, because you wrote about it, uh, Snell, Morton, Glass now will be the first, second, and third starters, and then they will go open, open, at least for the first five games. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think it's interesting. I think, of course, that this means there's two openers, and, and that's always you know, scary because, you know, the openers you use, of course, aren't dominant starters in any way, uh, or even, you know, dominant closers like Wade Davis in his prime or something like that. So there's always a chance that you regress or take a step back or the strategy doesn't work as well. But I actually really believe in this strategy and was hoping anyone would deploy it. And I was very happy Kevin Cash, to, uh, you know, stepped up and, and employed the strategy after reading about it from Brian Kenny, who made it popular with his book, uh, ahead of the curve and you know it's very fun it's of course going to be a fun season where the Rays are going to win games and also be at the forefront of being experimental which they have been really their entire franchise history for the most part uh, but you know that that first three is really good I mean I, if, if Glasnow can go into what everyone thinks that he will and, and thinks that he can meet his potential the way that it was set up for him whenever he was drafted this is a really good top three and then, of course, if this doesn't work, that be, that being the opener, the, the two openers uh, more specifically, you have a guy like uh, Jacob Ferreira on the in the minors, and you have you know Brent Honeywell, and you have uh, De Leon, who are both rehabbing from injuries, but should be good to go towards the end of May or at least by June. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how this rotation forms out. Uh, but there's no reason to panic, and there's also no reason to quite buy in just yet to the two openers lasting all 162. But the Rays do have some insurance, you know, throughout their organization. Yeah, absolutely. If we want to transition out of some 
league-wide news, the biggest breaking news to occur since our last podcast was obviously Bryce Harper becoming a Philadelphia Philly to the tune of 13 years and $330 million with no opt-out, which I thought was extremely interesting. Uh, what are your thoughts on that contract? Who won, if anybody? Was it equal or even for you? What did you think? Yeah, that's the strangest thing, right, is the, the first question is always who won, and this is one case where nobody won uh, and nobody lost either. Bryce Harper got the biggest contract in baseball in terms of, you know, of course, the, the year and then the money-wise in total. Obviously, the AAV isn't the biggest or even close to it even this offseason, uh, much less ever. But, I mean, the, the Bryce Harper thing, he gets his money. He gets those headlines. Scott Boris gets those headlines. They set out and did what they wanted to do. For the Phillies, you get a superstar one baseball player of of one really i mean the only baseball player that transcends sports and and you know is popular not just in baseball circles but in every circle everyone knows Bryce Harper the hair the the, the everything that goes along with that so they get their marquee guy Bryce Harper gets his contract and also the Phillies remain flexible. They remain to have money to, to spend on guys like Reese Hoskins, who's going to have to get paid soon. Aaron Nola, who they just extended and bought out his arbitration, but he still needs that longer-term deal after this. And then hometown boy Mike Trout coming up in a couple years. So you still have money to do all those things while having a very, very good core. It must be a thrill to be a Phillies fan right now. Yeah, honestly, it really must. Uh, this is always just fun to think about. Do you think in the future that we could see a 2008 rematch? Obviously, the first time the Rays were ever in the World Series, they played the Phillies in 2008. Um, this Phillies team is darn good, and this Rays team is getting pretty good too. Uh, really young talent on both teams. So what do you think about a 2008 rematch in the future? What do you think it could happen? Yeah, I think it's more realistic than people would believe i think that no one is picking the rays to go to the world series now or in the future uh, heck most people don't even realize that they won 90 games last year or that they are a legit playoff contender uh, but i mean i think it's pretty realistic i mean obviously the phillies are set up for the world series run uh, if not this year and a year or two from now uh I mean, obviously, they're in a great position, but if the rays obviously they're not going to go buy mike trout or any of these other free agents if they can have Willie Damas become a superstar, which you know you'll you'll read tomorrow on Race Colored Glasses that I think he will. If they can have that happen, Austin Meadows, uh, you know, rounds out and hits his ceiling. Tyler Glasnow. If all those that happens, Franco comes up. If all that happens in a few years, you could be seeing a 2008 rematch, and I mean that'd be incredible and that would be really fun. But yeah, I think it's actually a possibility. It's not something to laugh at or you know think is a totally unrealistic. Obviously, baseball is one of the toughest sports to get to that title, uh, no matter how good your team is, because once you get into the postseason, I mean, anything can happen, no matter if you're the best team or, or the quote-unquote worst team in the playoffs, you can make a run and, and go to the World Series. But yeah, I mean, they're set up to be really good teams for the uh, foreseeable future. Yeah, I think the other thing is we talk about how tough the AL East is, but the NL East, the National League East, is absolutely stacked with the Braves, the Mets, the the Nationals and then obviously the Phillies who have just absolutely loaded on talent this offseason. Who do you think is the runaway team or the team to beat in the NL East? I think for my uh, for me it is obviously the Phillies. Uh, I think like you said earlier it's just the biggest question mark is the starting rotation but yeah, I guess the second team in my opinion would be the Washington Nationals. You got Scherzer and Corbin and Strasburg. That's just a fantastic rotation right there. 
So, I mean, who, who do you think is the runaway tier, the team to beat in the NL East? I think the team to beat is the Phillies. I mean, outside of just Bryce Harper, I mean, their lineup is now amazing with JT Realmuto and, you know, Andrew McCutcheon, Gene Segura, Reese Hoskins. Uh, they also improved their bullpen a ton. I mean, Sir Anthony Dominguez, as well as um, David Robertson, and also, you know, just whoever else they have in that bullpen that's you know, obviously really good. And the rotation, if Jake Arrieta can bounce back, becomes a little bit better. But I don't believe in Nick Pavetta, and I don't believe in any of their bottom half of guys in that rotation. So that's really the only question mark I have for this Phillies team, which if you only have one question mark, you're in pretty good shape to win a division. Uh, but to me, the second best team in the division is the Braves. I mean, I think the trendy pick right now, or the kind of hipster pick right now, is is the Nationals, and they are a good team. I think that some people are kind of getting carried away with picking them to win the division after they lost Bryce Harper. Uh, they have a good rotation, they have a good young player in Soto, but other than that, I mean, I don't really see it with the Nationals. I think that it's kind of just caught up in wanting to be a trendsetter uh, in terms of the national media who are just praising and heaping praise on the Nats all offseason long uh, throughout this Harper saga. Uh, they're going to be a good team, and that's part of why they're the best division in baseball because the Nats are going to be good, the Phillies are going to be really good, the Braves are going to be really good with adding Josh Donaldson and having that young core still intact. The Mets are going to be scrappy and, and, and a quality team that can make a push for the wild card. And then the Marlins, but nonetheless, they're one of the best divisions in baseball. Yeah, some more MLB news. Ken Rosenthal, the Athletic, announced that MLB is going to to transition to a one-trade deadline, a single-waiver deadline on July 31st, rather than a trade deadline on July 31st and then a waiver deadline after the fact. Uh, what are your thoughts on this going forward? How do you think it will impact players in baseball? Do you like it? Do you not like it? You know, I think it's actually a good decision by baseball. I think that it, you know, creates a day in which everyone pays attention to baseball instead of, you know, a few marquee guys being dealt and you're getting excited about that. But then you've got to wait a couple more weeks for Justin Verlander to get traded in the year that he went to the Astros uh, or things along those lines to happen. Uh, you know, it just creates a more structured system. I think it'll create a more exciting day. I mean, the trade deadline in baseball is one of the best in all sports. Uh, but this makes it even better because all the moves are going to happen on this day. There's no wait and see. There's no waiver. There's no none of this or that. It's going to happen. It's going to be really fun. Baseball got it right with this one. Yeah, and then there are some expected rule changes for the 2020 season, which include an election day for all-star voting, a move to a 26-man roster, and then a capping of 13 pitches on a roster. Just give me a quick breakdown of your thoughts on each of the three. What do you like? What do you not like? What should we throw out? Uh, what do you want to start with, Election Day? Yeah, we can start there. It's the easiest to kind of talk about. I mean, all-star voting is stupid. Let's just get it out there. I mean, they start it way too early, first of all. I mean, they start it like the third week of the year. Who cares uh, about the all-star game, really? I mean, it really... And, you know, the all-star game voting is just stupid because, I mean, it starts way too early, and these teams... I mean, these fan bases, excuse me, do not take this seriously whatsoever. I mean, there's been the Rays fan base, I mean, excuse me, the Reds fan base trying to stuff the ballots box, the Royals fan base in 2015 trying to make the entire starting lineup out of the Royals starting lineup and even having Omar Infante leading the second base category for a while. And then last year, the most recent case of this was Dan Lebitar, the ESPN radio host, tried to stuff the ballot box for Lewis Brinson, a terrible outfitter for the Miami excuse me, for the Miami Marlins, this creates a stupid thing and makes it 
something enjoyable for a day. It goes from voting five times a day for like two months waiting for the All-Star game to one single day. There's going to be a ton to do around this day in terms of marketing, uh, you know, on social media uh, with each specific team. We've seen that the Rays have a good social media group and other teams have great social media groups. It's going to make this day fun and add a little bit more silliness, and it feels like they're kind of accepting the fact that this is ultimately stupid to have all-star voting and leave it up to the fans, and and it's really just a gimmick to, to kind of get fans involved, which is good in one way, uh, but it doesn't really determine who the best players in baseball really are, uh, but it'll be fun, I think, for the election day. As far as the 26-man roster, it's good. I mean, it creates more jobs. That's always good for the players. Uh, that's pretty much all i got to say about that. The, the max 13 pitchers, though, Get that out of my face. Do not tell teams how to construct their roster. If they want to carry 10 pitchers, if they want to carry 13, if they want to carry, you know, um, the amount of players, you know, that they want to as pitchers, let them do it. If they want to have two bench bats and the rest be pitchers, fine. Who cares, really? Uh, Again, this move seems like it's kind of trending towards the we don't want to see very many pitching changes. What I would counter with is that whoever's not watching baseball right now is not going to start because there's three less pitching changes and there's a few more minutes that they're taken off, six minutes taken off uh, in amount of the pitching changes. That's not what happens. Baseball's not longer than football is. They run the same length. In fact, in most cases, baseball games run shorter than football does. NBA is really the only thing that is streamlined and doesn't have many stoppages and get done quicker than baseball and football. But baseball and football are on track with each other, and football is one of the most popular, if not the most popular sport in America. It's not the time thing. It's the fact that you don't market your stars. You don't market the game. People can't understand it if they've never been taught it. It's a complex game in that. It's, it has nothing yeah, to do with mound visits and pitching changes. I think, I think it'll be fun. I don't really have too much to say about the 26-man roster. I think it just creates more jobs that MLB is trying to do. Um, and then as for the maximum of 13 pitches on a roster, I agree with everything you said, and I think you brought up pitching changes in an inning in that three-batter limit. I think this is baseball's underhanded attempt at limiting the amount of pitching changes a team can do without limiting or without mandating how many batters they have to face. They can only have 13 pitchers, but they have 26 people on a roster. It sort of creates this, you can't bring an extra pitcher up for the added matchup, the added the added left-handed specialist. You can't really afford to do that. You have to bring up a position player. So I think that's the only issue I have with it. Like you said, just don't tell teams have to, how to work their roster. And another, another interesting concept would be what happens when you have two-way players? Are they considered a position player or a pitcher? And how does that work with this whole maximum or limit on how many pitches you can have. That's really only my thoughts. Uh, what, what do you think will happen if you have a two-way player like Brendan McKay or Shoei or Tani? What do you consider him as? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a good point. I mean, on days that he's a pitcher, does he count against that 13? And days he's a hitter, yeah, do you does he not count against that 13? I mean, what do you do? who knows uh, uh, what that will do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just exactly. think about how stupid yeah. that is. And then does that use an option? Does that use an option to send somebody down for one day for whenever Otani pitches? It's stupid. Just leave the game alone for the most part. Obviously, baseball needs to improve in some areas. But again, you're changing the game in the entirely wrong ways. Nobody is going to start watching because Kevin Cash walks out to the mound yeah. two less times per game. 
some games you're going to have a lot of pitching changes. Some games you won't. Just like in football, some games you're going to have a lot of penalties and a lot of stoppage. Some games you won't. Some games you're going to have two teams that run the ball a ton and, and eat that clock. In other games, you're going to have Patrick Mahomes and Jared Goff out there. They're going to put up 60 points. It's going to go five hours. I mean, it, it's a game within the game, and this isn't going to do enough change to get people to yeah, no, I don't know about pay you, attention I mean, for myself, all three hours of, of the baseball left game. Left-on-left matchups, when you bring someone in in the bottom of the ninth and get that last out, or the bottom of the eighth when the bases are loaded, and you're up by a run and you can't let a run score, so you bring in a left-handed specialist to face Bryce Harper, those are some of the best at-bats of the – some of the best matchups of the game, if not the season. So when you start limiting pitchers on a roster and you start limiting how many pitchers or how many batters they have to face, it just sort of it turns. I think I wrote this in one of my other articles. It turns baseball from a chess match from a checkers match, or actually, it changes baseball from a chess match to a checkers match. And why dumb down the game? It's been like this forever. So I mean, I just don't see the need. Um, let's transition now to some spring training thoughts so far. Let's start with you on your biggest surprise this spring. My biggest surprise so far is Kevin Kiermeyer. I mean, he's a fan favorite, of course. Everyone loves him. I mean, I'm not so high on him. I actually uh, like Malik Smith a bit more. That's probably the most controversial opinion I have that will get killed uh, throughout the this this season, hopefully, because hopefully he plays well. But so far this spring, he has a 320 average on eight hits, four runs, and 25 at-bats. I mean, if he can be productive with the stick, we all know he's one of the best outfielders uh, defensively in baseball. Uh, a little bit overrated, but still one of the best uh, uh, defensively. So if he can be even serviceable at the plate, this team goes from 90 wins last year to even better. And you've got, you've got to find ways to win in the margins, especially in this division, in this competitive AL. You've got to find ways to improve from within. This would be a big one yeah, if Kevin Kiermaier can, can actually perform they can at the hide dish. Him in the lineup. I mean, he has speed to burn, so you'd like to see him be more than serviceable. But his defense is enough to where, you know what, if you can be serviceable to play and you can hold your own, you know what, we'll find a place for you to hit because you provide such good defense I think my biggest surprise this spring, it might might not be exactly a surprise to some people as he finished the year off on an absolute tear in Durham, but Austin Meadows has gone off to a fantastic start this spring, I think in 11 games. He has 29 at-bats, um, he has a couple bombs, four RBIs, three doubles, he's hitting 310, he's slugging 690. I know this is all spring training, it's all arbitrary, but... Still, for me, that is very promising to see. The Rays handed him that starting role when they traded away Malik Smith, which you mentioned earlier. So to see him sort of just come out and really perform off the bat is very uh, promising. Um, and I wasn't—I I don't know if I was surprised, but it, it was sort of a surprise to me. So I was happy to see it. What are some standouts from spring that you've seen so far, people that have stood out to you? Yeah, I, I think Brandon Lowe has been a guy that, you know, you and I talked about, you know, just personally before spring training started saying how high we were on him, but also not knowing where he kind of fits in the current roster construction. But his bat has been undeniable this spring. He has a 448 average. He has 13 hits already in 29 at bats. He has two home runs, 13 RBIs. I mean, it's been 
undeniable what he can do at the plate at 24 years old. I mean, he's hitting his way into the lineup like you wrote today uh, on the uh, on the website Race Carter Glasses. He's been my biggest uh, surprise, not because, you know, of course, you didn't think he had it in him, but because you didn't think it happened this soon, or at least I didn't think it would happen this soon to where he plays yeah, his way onto point, the opening day roster, which I think he will. I mean, I really don't. He's been absolutely fantastic this spring. Uh, he's He leads all of baseball and RBIs. He has had a lot of plate appearances and everything, but he's just crushing the ball. Um, he was obviously one of my standouts, but I'll talk about someone else, Faria, who was recently optioned down. He was one of my favorite players in 2017. Loved watching him pitch on a day-to-day basis, and now um, they optioned him down after a strong start. Uh, so I was a little bit surprised to see that. But, you know, they want him, I guess the thought process was they want him to uh, get some what do they say they wanted him to just get some more reps in the minor leagues and I think you could probably he will have an impact at the major league level this year whether it be in September or in May as a bulk guy or even as a fourth starter if they tend to if they want to go that route um, so that'll be interesting to see but he was pretty sharp in a couple outings that he had so that was a little bit interesting for me but that was my standout what is what would be your biggest disappointment to this point in spring Pagan. I mean, they traded for him, and you know, people got you know excited about the acquisition. I was one of them, and so far he's pitched six innings, a little bit over six innings, and has a six point seven ERA. Obviously, spring doesn't matter, especially for twenty seven year old pitchers who have been around the block a time or two in the bigs. You know, they're not truly working on their with their entire repertoire, so it's kind of hard to judge a pitcher, good or bad, in spring training, but. I mean, you'd, you'd hope he could have a little bit better stuff uh, in spring, especially as we get closer and closer to opening day. Uh, but again, I'm not writing him off by any means. It's just been kind of disappointing to see that he, you know, hasn't had anything better to, yeah, and to like produce said, than a 6.75 I wouldn't put too much weight in him, but sort of on the same lines, uh, I talked a lot about Colin Pochet and that he was pretty much a lock in my mind to make the opening day roster. And I'm really not so sure if he is at this point. He has had major major issues finding the strike zone he has 10 walks and four and two-thirds innings this this spring um strikeout numbers haven't necessarily been there i think the fastball still plays at the major league level i think it's just a matter of him trying probably trying to do too much he got a lot of attention early in spring with those impressive bullpens cash raved about him but it doesn't it hasn't really transitioned onto the major league field yet so it'll be interesting to see what route they choose to go with him i think he could be a really special lefty uh, specialist like Venters was, but I think at this point I would expect him to open in AAA after I really pegged him as a lefty specialist in the opening day pen. So that would be my biggest disappointment. What are your thoughts on Matt Duffy remaining sidelined? I mean, the injury bug just seems to follow him everywhere he goes, especially since that Matt Moore trade that sent him over to Tampa Bay. I think since in 2016 he played 91 games. In total, in 2017, he didn't step on a major league field. And then 2018, he played 132, but down the stretch, had some issues staying on the field, staying healthy, got a little bit nicked up. And then he entered spring training, I think it was 15 to 20 pounds heavier, in an attempt to stay healthier and bulk up for the entire duration of a season. And next thing you know, I think he's played in one game, and he's been down for the count with a a nagging hamstring injury. So what are your thoughts on that? When do you... I don't want to necessarily say give up or move on from Matt Duffy, but this is a team with a lot of people looking 
um, for a lot of playing time. And I mean, Michael Barrasso has even made a case for a major league roster spot this spring who really no one thought about. And they even sent down Christian Arroyo. So when do you move on from Matt Duffy and sort of pivot towards some in-house players that are showing some real promise? Yeah, I think Duffy, you know, even if he was fully healthy, as soon as Arroyo looked ready, he was going to take over for Duffy this season. Uh, but, I mean, I think it's kind of time right now to kind of phase phase him out. You know, of course, I don't think they're going to uh, allow him to miss the opening day roster by any means. But a guy we just mentioned, Brandon Lowe's going to need at-bats. Uh, you know, your guy's going to need at-bats. I mean, no, he doesn't have a, a stronghold by any means uh, on his spot at third base. And I think his time uh, is dwindling in Tampa Bay and you know you know he's kind of a fan favorite a little bit but I think that it's kind of time for him to to get going because it's time for these young guys to uh, step up earn their spot and you know just become major league ball players and Matt Duffy while serviceable isn't moving the needle for you one way or the other an electric playmaker might be able to do that like a highly talented you know Christian Arroyo or Brennan Lowe or anyone like that they might be able to provide a spark for you the way Willie Domas did I I don't think that that's I recently wrote about how Daniel Robertson is pretty much ripping his starting role away from him as he remains injured and I think at this point even if he gets healthy before opening day I think third base is Daniel Robertson's to have Um, and I, I I don't know where Duffy plays because if Christian Arroyo performs at AAA and Daniel Robertson get off, gets off to a hot start, I mean, Robertson has to hit. Lau has to hit. I just don't know where he plays. I really don't. Um, Wendell has to hit. Yandy Diaz has to hit. Choi has to hit. I think all these bats have power that Duffy can't provide, and that this raised lineup uh, has shown the ability to hit for some power now, and it's not – Duffy hasn't been a part of that. So I don't, I, I don't know where he fits in anymore. I really don't. If the, I have a feeling they're going to place him on the what is now called the injured list rather than the disabled list, so I think come opening day he will be on the injured list, which is just I don't think it bodes well for him at all. Um, yes, yeah, so moving on, let's get to some questions that we asked you at hashtag Ask RCP, the Race Color Podcast. You had some, we had a couple fan questions. Number one coming from Charles at underscore. C underscore P underscore N underscore. His question was, besides Kimbrell, who else should the Rays sign in free agency, if anyone? I'll let you tackle this one first, and then I'll follow it up with my answer. I mean, the the, the true answer, the, realist, the realistic answer is no one. But if you really wanted to name, I mean, Dallas Keuchel, I mean, obviously you're, run, you're rolling into the season with a three-man rotation. And while fun, while flashy, it's risky. It's very risky because the opener is still uh, unforeseen territory. I think it's a great move. We talked about that earlier in the show. I think it's a, it's a great strategy. I think it will work, but there's a chance that it doesn't work. And you know, a guy like Keiko, who's won a Cy Young Award, would be a great addition to this rotation if you were looking for a name other than Kimbrel. I don't think it's very realistic that they get Kimberly even. So I don't think anyone's coming in by way of free agency uh, this offseason. But, you know, if you want a name, there you go. Yeah, I think, I mean, I talked about, about why you, they Austin? should sign Kimberly. Snell wants them to sign Kimberly. I don't think there's a reason not to sign Kimberly. They have the money to spend, whether you, whether you think so or not, they do. Um, talked about sort of how they've, 
spent their revenues over the past, their prior year's revenue over the past uh, so many years. And it's not like signing Kimbrell, who at this point obviously is not going to get a long-term contract. Um, I think the most he'll probably – he wanted six years. I think the most he'll end up signing for this year would maybe be four. But I would probably be safe to say – or bet on him signing a three-year contract. I mean that wouldn't lock up the Rays financially. They have so many young players, and it can never hurt to have a, the best closer in the game closing out games for you when you're in the toughest division in baseball. And then when you plan on being in postseason baseball, we've seen how important closers can be. Why not make a run at him? Why not? And then, like you said, Dallas Keuchel, like I said, they have the money. Um, I don't, he's not going to get the contract that he wanted, just like Kimbrell. So, um, and if you're looking for that four-starter, Gio Gonzalez is still out there. But I think in-house options would still be okay over Gio Gonzalez. But like you said, Keuchel and Kimbrell would be my two guys. Um, obviously not both. I don't see them signing really either, but I don't see why not. Um, his second question from Charles what are your thoughts on G-Man, or G-Man Choi? Start with you, Ryland. I mean, he's played very well this spring, and he's kind of earned his spot, you know, uh, on this obviously opening day team. And also, I think he's, you know, gotten the opening day first base nod. I think Diaz will be the DH, and, and Choi will be the uh, first baseman. I mean, he's hitting for a three fifty average. He has four RBIs. He has a home run. He has seven hits on 20 at-bats this spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, he has a few good defensive plays. I mean, he doesn't look the most athletic, but he got down there and picked a few balls already this spring. Uh, he's been really good, and I think he's an excitable player who can excite a fan base and have them rally around him. I yeah, love I it. I, I, think, you know, I love what he I brings to the table for the race. I think he can develop into a fan favorite type of player, like the Carlos Pena type a guy that he was. I mean... Everyone loved him last year. He's always smiling. Everyone loves to be around him, it seems like. And Kevin Cash has raved about his work ethic and getting ready for the first baseman rule. Um, and he hits he hits the ball harder, I think, than most people realize. He just he hits the ball extremely hard on a consistent basis. And that's what you want out of your first baseman. Drive in runs, hit the ball over the fence. Um, and like you said, he's been pretty good defensively at first. And you pair that with becoming a possible fan favorite. Uh, I don't see why. I don't see why you don't love Giant Minshew. Uh, I think uh, extremely fun guy to watch on a daily basis. And like I said, I, like you said, I do believe that he's locked on that opening day first baseman role. Let's just hope he can stay healthy over the course of the entire season. Our third and final uh, question comes from Ray's at Ray's Discord. What are your thoughts on MLB pitching rule changes and more? And more so, if you think that they were made because of the Rays. I'll let you tackle this one first. This is a pretty big can of worms, so we'll start with you on this one. Yeah, we've tackled the, the pitching changes in terms of the 13 and the and the three batter minimum. You know, we kind of brushed on it. I think this is specifically asking, you know, or alluding to the three batter minimum uh, in terms of it affecting the Rays, really. Uh, I, I don't... I don't really see it. I mean, I, I think that, you know, it won't be called the Rays rule or anything. Uh, I think it's more so a pace of play type thing than a getting back at the Rays or trying to deter the Rays from what they're doing. Again, uh, you know, if you just talk about what the opener is exactly, I mean, all it is is a guy pitching in the first inning or the second inning rather than the seventh and the eighth. And, you know, it, that doesn't affect contracts really because 
you don't get paid, you know, to be the, the seventh, eighth pitcher. You get paid for saves. These guys weren't going to get those saves anyway. And in terms of games started, I mean, you never got paid for the amount of games you started. You get paid for innings. You get paid for wins. And this opener strategy got Ryan Yarbrough 17 wins last year. I find it very hard to believe that he earns 17 wins if he's just pitching the entire ball game from start to finish, you know, or from the first inning, excuse me, I should say. I mean, I don't think he's going to pitch many complete games anyway. Uh, but again, I don't think this affects anyone's pay the way people want to try to, you know, just throw out hyperbole out there about, you know, arbitration and blah, 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 blah. You obviously don't understand, you know, how all this works. Uh, pitchers are still getting their wins. You know, really the only thing that it affects is holds. I mean, yeah, if you pitch a guy in the seventh or eighth, you'd get a hold technically. You're not going to get that in the first inning. Uh, but it doesn't really affect anything, I don't think, and I don't think that MLB's upset with the Rays or the players' union is upset with the Rays. You know, I think yeah, it's just I a would really have to good agree strategy. With you just said there, and I, even if you look at this max of thirteen pitchers rule, it's not going to affect if the Rays are going. It's not going to deter the Rays from opening games with Ryan Stanek. It's not like so. I don't. I don't see the issue there. I don't think it's because of the Rays. Uh, it's not just the Rays that go matchup by matchup. Almost every team, if not every single team in Major League Baseball has matchup by matchup uh, pitcher batter yeah yeah unless yeah, you have you a have terrible bullpen ventures, you yeah. have your guys yeah, you have your specialists you have your setups you have everything team. you're bringing in Castillo in the first inning to face those three best hitters you're bringing in Stanek to overpower the Mike Trouts and the Justin Uptons and the Shohei Otani so I mean I don't think this really affects the Rays I don't necessarily think they were made because of the Rays um Yes, I, I, like I said, I have to agree with everything you said. Let's take this opportunity to, to make sure that for our next podcast, use the hashtag AskRCP to ask your questions. What do you want us to talk about? Give us suggestions even. Yeah. What What do you want to hear more of? What, what are we doing well? What are we doing poorly? Just let us know. Um, and I think that about does it for the show. You want to close it out, Ryland? Yeah, I mean, again, just get at us on Twitter. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't like about the show, how we can improve. Send us your questions. Uh, one last thing about the 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 you know the question, uh, you know the the arbitration thing with wins. I mean, even that stat is getting phased out smartly because the win stat's stupid. We can talk about that next week if you want. I mean, the win stat's completely arbitrary and just dumb. So they're stopping to they're stopped to pay guys for that. They're not going to continue to do that throughout the history of baseball. That's going to end quicker, you know, sooner rather than later. Uh, but yeah. Enough about that. It was a really good show today. I appreciate your time. I appreciate the fans' time to, to take the time out of their day to listen to us talk about baseball. It was really fun. Again, use the hashtag AskRCP. Follow oh, Austin on Twitter. Austin, Austin, go ahead and give your handle right now. I-M-A-N-N underscore capital A-U-S-T-I-N. And you can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. Tell me I'm an idiot for calling Kevin Kiermaier overrated or don't if you agree with me. <laughs> but it's been fun. We'll be back next week to preview the regular season. We've made it. We've made it through spring training. We've made it almost to opening day. This is going to be really fun. We both think that the Rays are in store for a really fun season. We hope that you'll listen to us all season long. Be good and be good to one another. This has been the Rays Colored Podcast as a part of RaysColoredGlasses.com and the Fan Sided Podcast Network. 
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.